I had a funny experience the other day. I was filling out some paperwork around beneficiary, and of course I was uh, just, you know, rightly deciding to have my wife Monica be the, my designated beneficiary, and uh, it asked for the date of our marriage. And I paused, because I have no idea <laughs> of the legal date when we got married. There is a date that's imprinted on my heart. It's June 28th, 2003. That's the date that in Atlanta, Georgia, we um, promised before God and witnesses gathered together that we would love each other, serve each other, commit our life together. Um, but that didn't become legal till many years later. And so I was in this weird thing where I was like, I have no idea. And I had to kind of dig around and find, find the marriage certificate which is apparently November 15th, probably a Tuesday or something. Who knows? I share that story with you because we're talking about marriage today, and we're not talking about that piece of paper. We're not talking about that. Like, that, that's good, and, you know, that's great. But what we're talking about is this lifelong commitment, this journey of two people being together, of serving one another, of um, sharing life together. Um, and we're talking about that not, not, just, not just in the context of marriage, though we'll talk about marriage a lot, but about what it means to be created in the image of God and what our calling is as humans, as earth creatures. Okay. So that's what we're talking about today, but we should always begin with prayer. So let's pray. Holy and gracious God, thank you for creating us. Thank you for our bodies. Thank you for creating us in your image. Open our eyes and hearts and ears to your word today. Open our lives to your life today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, this is a beautiful scripture passage. We're going to talk about how beautiful it is in a moment. The first thing I want to talk about is how triggering it can be for some people. Is anybody triggered by this passage? Because maybe I don't, yeah, 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 two people. There's always two. Uh, there's a couple ways in which it's triggering, and so I want to name those, and I'm not going to deal with them right yet, but I will deal them a as, we, as we go on, okay? So the first way that I have seen this be triggering for people, gets around interpretation. I want to say a word about interpretation. There's not a pure reading of scripture. Every week when I get up here to preach to you all, I am giving you my interpretation, right? And that interpretation comes from the experiences of my life. It comes from, and the way that you hear my interpretation comes from the experiences of your life. So it gets really messy really quick, right? There's not a way to just read scripture and know what it actually means. But what's happened is that sometimes scripture passages have caused harm to people because one interpretation has become the normative. Okay? So I'm going to talk about a couple of those uh, ways today. Uh, the first is related to um, gender roles. right? This passage has often been read, oh, look, Adam was created first, so Adam must be best. Eve was created out of Adam, so she must be 
lower on the hierarchy, right? It says that she's supposed to be a helper and a server, so that's probably, you know, great. Women should serve men, right? We've heard this different iterations. We're going to talk about that, not right in this moment. The second way is uh, to, to justify that homosexuality is wrong. See if you can fill in this statement for me. The Bible says Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve. Right. So therefore, has, has anybody not heard that before? It's the great. So therefore, homosexuality is wrong. We're going to talk about that um, in a moment, too. And then the last way that I think this has been harmful is actually something that we see in popular culture a whole lot. It's this idea that we um, are half of a person, and another per it, it takes another person to, to make us whole. Um, we, it's the interpretation of the they became one flesh. That's about sex, guys. That's not about like us being half of one person. So uh, watch this. This is dating me. This is showing that I'm maybe older than you all. Um, but watch this clip. You had me at hello. <laughs> How many of you guys, when you watched that movie for the first time, were like shedding a tear? Like, <laughs> who, who doesn't want to hear you complete me? Right? Who doesn't want to hear that? And yet, uh, it's harmful, right? Because for, for a couple of reasons. One, it implies that if you're not with someone, you're half. Which is really dangerous, y'all. We're, we're whole people, Right? Our identity comes from God, not from connecting with another person. And so uh, while it seems like romantic, it, it's really damaging. Number one, there are people in this room that are single by choice. There are people in this room that are single by circumstance. And what are we saying to folks who are not coupled, right? So we're not all whole in terms of, like, perfect, but we are all each a being, right? So I just want to kibosh that one right now. Bad job, Jerry Maguire. <laughs> so with these uh, trigger warnings in mind, at least I've kiboshed one, with the other two, I want to begin by digging into this really beautiful, beautiful passage. It begins with verse 18 where the Lord God says, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So if you back all the way up to the beginning of creation, to the first creation story, you see God calling everything good. God speaks forth, and creation happens, and there is um, day and light, and God calls it good. It is good. And God makes land and water, and it is good. And God makes stars and this moon and all of these things, God says, it is good. And then God makes land animals and frogs. I don't know if that's a land animal or a sea creature. And God makes monkeys and God makes fish. And all of these things, God says, it is good. Everything is good. And then God creates human person. Out of the mud, God scoops it up and becomes this divine potter and makes this earth creature. Adam is not actually um, subscribed to a gender at this point. Adam is a play on the Hebrew word, he Adam, which is uh, 
earth. So God scoops together and makes this mud creature, this earth creature, and says, it is God. Isn't that awesome? From the beginning of creation, everything is good, good, good. And then something is uttered that has never been uttered before, that the divine has never said. God looks at the rivers that have been made and the trees that have been made and looks at this earth creature and says, it is not good. It is not good that this earth creature should be alone. It is not good. I will make him a partner and a helper. Do you see that switch? This is good, this is good, this is good. And then God sees loneliness and says, it is not good. And so God gets to work. Actually, God becomes the wingman for Adam. And scoops together more of that divine mud and says, okay, Adam, I'm going to make a, a helper for you, a partner, and you name it. So God scoops together this mud and offers it to Adam and says, here, how about this? And Adam says, um, I'm going to call that a pigeon. And no, it's not a helper for me. It's not a partner. So God goes at it again and scoops together more mud and, and, and offers it and says, here, Adam. And Adam says, uh, that's an alligator. No, no, that won't do. See how they're, they're, creating, they're co-creating together. They're working together. So God scoops together more mud and says, here, here. And Adam says, that's a moose. And no, that is also not a partner and a helper for me. And that's a dog, and it's beautiful, but it's not a partner and a helper for me. And that is a, a cat, and it is beautiful, but not. And, and animal after animal is named until God said, puts Adam in a deep sleep and takes, takes something from Adam. Bone of Adam's bone, flesh of Adam's flesh, and uses that become the divine potter again and sculpt and shape and create this other creation, this new creation. And Adam looks at it and sees himself and sees difference and he says, at last, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, yes, this is a woman. This, this is it. And so we see in here the beginning of genders. Um, until this point, even though in English we see it say man, the man did this, it, it actually in the Hebrew it's Adam. It's still this being Adam. And then it switches to Ish and Isha. So just sort of like man and woman, out of man comes woman, right? We oftentimes want to look at that and say, well, there it is gender roles, right? Um, but this is not the intention. This beautiful passage, it's, it's not intended for us to see, um, to see dominion, one, one um, gender over the other. Uh, 
the scripture goes on, I, I, will, I will come back to what it's meant to see, be, but this scripture goes on to say, therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh, and the man and his wife are both naked and they're not ashamed. We are blessed with attraction to one another, with desire for one another, um, and so this, this beautiful story it gives us the answer to the question of who we are, what is our purpose in life, where do we come from, in whose image are we made. It's not a science book, right? This is not a factual story. This is a story that answers questions deeper than that and bigger than that. So... Um, as we look at the answer of these questions of who we are and what are we made for, we see the answer is that we are made in the image of God and that we are made to love and serve each other. Scripture says, I will make him a partner and a helper. So I want to I talk about that a minute, um, but I want to talk about the gender piece first. If we, lead, if we read Scripture literally, um, we look at this and we would say, well, every couple has to be male and female because that's the way it was with the first couple, right? Um, and so we can't have same-sex couples. But if we continue to read it literally, we'd also have to say, well, of course there couldn't be same-sex couples at the beginning because let's say that there was Adam and Steve. Well, there would have still had to be some sort of surrogacy of Eve because otherwise, how would we have continued from general, you know, like if we're reading it literally, right? Do you get what I'm saying? You tracking? But instead, I want to invite you, and, and if we're going to read it literally, then that would mean that every couple that is together should have to have children because that's what Adam and Eve did. But we've already dropped that understanding, right? We already know that not all couples choose to have kids or are able to have kids, straight couples I'm talking. So we can't have a literal reading of this scripture. Do you get what I'm saying? Um, and so if we can say, sure, the first couple's like this, but, but we have the ability to think beyond that, to think that some couples won't have kids, and some couples, um, then is it really that big of a leap to think that some couples will be same sex? Not really, right? Okay, I'm done with that. Done with that soapbox. I personally think that the reason we want to read that into this scripture is actually a larger question of gender roles and norms and what we think we as society ought to, ought to be. So I want to dig into that just a little bit today. We somehow think that hierarchy and subordination is, is how we should read this passage. We somehow think that that is what God ordained for women from the beginning of time. And I think many marriages have suffered because of gender roles. Many marriages have caused hurt because we make the assumption that men should do this and women should do that. I have to say, one of the benefits of being in a same-sex relationship is that you can't go by gender roles and you actually have to like communicate. Like It started with our wedding. Oh, who's going to walk down the aisle? Oh, who's going to give who away? Oh, you know, it, it starts... It started before the wedding, actually. 
But I, I remember early on um, in our marriage, Monica was working in a hospital, and there was a woman who, she, uh, so just picture Atlanta 12 years ago, very different context than where we are today. And there was a woman, uh, a, a nun from Nigeria, who was working with her. She was trying to figure out us. She was trying. To, she she was like, I, so you're you're with a woman, and uh, Monica was like, yes, yes. And the nun finally said, so who's the man? And um, Monica wasn't sure how to interpret that question, but she decided to interpret it along gender roles and not anything else. And she said, like, who changes the light bulb? If the light bulb goes out, who gets the oil changed in the car? Who mows the lawn? Like, like that? And she's like, yes, who does all of that? <laughs> and uh, Monica had to say, well, um, whoever's closest to the light bulb, um, <laughs> whoever has time in their schedule, whoever, you know, right? Um, we both do it. We're, we're partners. So when we actually look at the Hebrew word today, same-sex couples in, in many ways get to sort of model what marriage can be like if we don't play into those gender norms and stereotypes. It's actually really hope People are scared, we're scared when it changed, like, oh, the, the sanctity of marriage is threatened, but I think it actually is going to make marriage stronger because straight folks will have permission to not have to go into those gender roles. So when we look at the Hebrew, um, the word helper that we see there, God says, I will make for Adam a helper and partner. That word helper is super important. It's, it's the word um, ezer, E-Z-E-R in Hebrew. And it is most often in the scriptures used to describe, you're not going to believe this, God, actually. It's most often used to describe the way that God helps God's people. Talk about power. That's a powerful helper, yeah? It is also used to describe someone who is stronger that will come alongside someone who is weaker and help them. Uh-oh. It's also used uh, to describe someone like a young warrior who's in battle, and wants to help and deliver people, right? Like they're, they're going to help people. Whoa, that's a totally different context than I grew up hearing about. How about you? Now, I'm not trying to go the other way, because I think that God created the partners for each other to help each other, right? So I'm not trying to do the opposite of, um, I'm, I'm not trying to like, flip it and say that women should be on top, right? I, I think we're created to be mutual partners, to be helpers and partners in life. So, the fact of the matter is that when we, all of us, whether we're in a marriage, whether we're not in a marriage, we're created to be helpers. Like, from the beginning of time, we have been created in the image of God to be helpers and partners. From the Christian tradition, we call that being part of the body of Christ. 
right? We call that living into agape love. Love that is um, for another person. Jesus modeled it in washing his disciples' feet. He modeled it in uh, breaking bread and saying, this is my body. He modeled it um, in his death on the cross that he was a helper in serving other people, right? And in marriage, we get to do that. We commit ourselves to another person to help and serve them, to put them first, as Christ does. Now, I'm not going to lie, this is super hard. Uh, First of all, because, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm the star of my life. I'm the most important character. And so it's really hard to be reminded that my job is to love and care for another person. right? But that's our ultimate call. And as we grow, as we grow in our identity as Christians, as we undergo this process of sanctification, right, this this journey of salvation to, uh, remember what I talk about salvation all the time is this idea of Christ working in you to bring about freedom, authenticity, and wholeness, right? Um, As we undergo this process of sanctification, we change. And so marriages change. Relationships change. Marriage means then we have to figure out how to love each other through eros love at the beginning when it's fun and sexy into agape love when maybe the sexy parts don't work as well as they used to. Or maybe I was talking to a a guy that worships at another site um, who's a new father, and, and I was talking about this series. I was like, Any, what do you want to know? And he's like, I want to know when I can have wife with, uh, sex with my wife again. Because I, I'm like, well, the doctors say. And he's like, I don't want to know about what the doctors say. He's putting, like, his marriage has changed, right? Um, and I'm sure his sex life will come back. Maybe it already has. This was like, you know, eight weeks ago. So we change. Marriages change, right? And they're hard. I could tell you so much more about this, um, but I want to show you a clip. This is uh, probably one of the most beautiful movie clips I've ever seen. Um, It models what it means to bless another person, what it means to minister and be the presence of Christ um, in their life. Um, through the ups and downs. It's not a Christian video, you'll see in a minute. Um, It's from the movie Up. Um, And so we're going to watch this, and then I'm going to... This is our Christian message today, (coughs) that um, marriage is a holy institution, not because some piece of paper makes it holy, or because some pastor stands at your wedding and says a prayer. It's holy because it reflects the life-giving and self-sacrificing love of Jesus. That means that all relationships and vocations that we have can be holy, be it um, friendship or singleness, parenthood or partnership, ministry, adoption, monastic vows, living 
fully in our neighborhood, all of these ways, if we are offering ourselves in life-giving and self-sacrificing ways, it's beautiful and holy. And it's what it means to be made in the image of God. And so I say to you today, no matter where you are, if you are single, if you are 